an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal, come here the animal, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Tricia Gorham, Chair of the College of Veterinary Technology at St. Petersburg College. Those of us who live with animals tend to have a huge soft spot for veterinary technicians. If you've ever taken your pet to the veterinarian, surely you've been assisted by a very kind man or woman in scrubs who might enter the examination room ahead of the vet or at the same time. This, of course, is a veterinary technician or vet tech. I invited Gorham on the show to discuss various aspects of working as a vet tech, the scope of the training one undergoes, what the parameters of the job are, for, for instance, which procedures they are permitted and not permitted to do, and so on. Gorman's been teaching at St. Petersburg College since 1996 and has been a practicing vet tech since 1991. So an ideal person to discuss the whole realm of being a vet tech, which we'll do in a moment when I speak with Trisha Gorm in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. As a quick aside, I want to call your attention to a brand new New York Times piece just posted an hour or so ago about the return of the Ringling Brothers Circus, but, and this is the key thing, with no animals. So, Check that out if you have a chance. It's online now. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Spencer Conover, the Assistant Director of Pasco County Animal Services, who will fill us in on these drive-through vaccine and chip events they've been holding monthly, where you pull up in your car with your pets and they get vaccinated and chipped at no charge. May's event is already fully committed, but we'll hear the details of this extravaganza scheduled for June 25th in Dade City, so you can uh, get a jump on getting um, registered for that if you'd like to do that. So more on this special opportunity later in today's show. Meanwhile, a couple of programming notes. First, I want to offer an important heads up. WNF Summer Fun Drive is just around the corner. So if you enjoy talking animals, if you found the show educational, illuminating, entertaining, or any combination thereof, perhaps, please help us get a jump in a traditionally tough time for fundraising by donating now by hitting a Talking Animals tip jar. And to do that, you just go to WMNF.org, find Talking Animals in the broadcast schedule. Then on the Talking Animals page, just go up and look for the tip jar and just click that. And any contribution of any amount will be greatly appreciated just to give us, uh, again, uh, sort of a running head start at the raising money for the WNF fund drive, which is so critical to the operation of the station. Second, later in today's show, I'll be offering tickets to tonight's show featuring Lainey Jones at Hooch and Hive. Lainey is a, uh, a great singer-songwriter and has a terrific new album coming out just this week. Uh, technically, I think on Friday, Stories Up High, and this show tonight at Hooch and Hive is sort of an album release party and a celebration of a sense. She was also a guest on last week's Talking Animals discussing growing up amidst kangaroos, wallabies, and other exotic critters. So check out uh, Lainey Jones if you can. And again, later in the show, we'll be offering a pair of tickets to her show at Hooch and Hive right here in Tampa. Right now, though, let's talk vet tax with Trisha Gorham with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, texting 813 433 
800-227-0885. This is Trisha Gorham on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Trisha. Good morning. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So I certainly want to spend time, of course, on the training of vet techs and what all goes on in, in the veterinary technology program at, at St. Petersburg College that you uh, lead and more. But first, let's talk a little bit about you and, and your own history, especially as it relates to these kinds of topics. So how important were animals to you when you, when you were a kid? Oh, animals were always part of my life growing up. Um, I rode horses from the time I was eight years old. So we always had dogs, cats running through the barns and in, in the house and things like that. And then I, I just, my love for animals just continued to grow. So I actually, through high school, thought I was going to vet school. Mm-hmm. And once I graduated from high school and realized I started working for a veterinarian in high school, I was their kennel technician, and then I um, started moving up, changed practices, and got a little more responsibility and realized that really my passion was the nursing care of the animals and not necessarily wanting to spend the time to go to vet school um, where I didn't have as much hands-on day-to-day encounters with the animals. So Mm. I found uh, the vet tech program at St. College, which is where I graduated from, um, and then that's where my passion stayed. I really never had an interest to continue on to vet school because I just love the day-to-day hands-on working with the animals. Yeah, well, one thing you said that that I was going to get into later, and we'll we'll probably circle back to it, but the comparison to vet tech, the nursing side of veterinary care, uh, is interesting, and, and we'll explore that maybe a little bit more in a moment. Right. But I'm wondering if along those early years, those high school years or just formative years, was there anything uh, beyond your obvious love of animals and riding horses and having cats and dogs kind of running around, but was there anything specific that happened medically, either with a family pet or another animal that just you were in frequent contact with, that you think may have triggered a desire to care for, for animals in the way that you obviously have such, even now, such a passion for? I don't think there was a, a that trigger, um, just because animals were always involved in my day-to-day life. When I was yeah. in high school, I actually enrolled in, um, back then it was a large animal course in our local high school, is at Seminole High School. Um, now it's actually a full vet assisting program that students can take in the Pinellas County School System, which is awesome. Um, so that gave me more experience, and that's what actually put me into the clinical site, because we were re- required to do hours in a local veterinary hospital. So um, and just being able to experience what happened day to day in that veterinary hospital is what made me, because I started as a junior in high school working for a veterinary hospital. Yeah. So, and I worked with the technicians there. Many of them were involved with St. P. College, so I had a, a good knowledge of what I was getting into. And, and that's really where my passion laid. So yeah. I just continued on that path. And it sounds like every step of the way, you loved it and you had this passion. And, and it sounds right. like every, like from just sort of wandering around again as a teenager, but having this opportunity all the way up till today as we speak, you, that passion and, and the love for, for the work and obviously for the animals that, under, you know, underscores that. Uh, I had is, a strong background in science. You know, I was really good at science. I liked and enjoyed my science classes. Okay. um, You know, that led me more toward this path as well. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, yeah. So, really, it sounds like it really has never wavered for these 30-plus years, I guess. Right. It actually hasn't. So, um, 30 years, I sound old, but, you know, that's a long time to be in one profession without any never once an inkling to change professions. Yeah. Well, that's funny because I was even going to ask you, like when you've had a bad day, like losing a patient or seeing intense grief amongst a family that has to make that tough decision in the the room or or 
their home these days, I guess, too. But um, how often have you considered, I love this overall, but uh, this is kind of getting to me or this is just uh, too many days like this? Yeah, it's definitely a problem in veterinary medicine overall that we have, it's a high stress profession. Um, Actually, veterinary medicine has one of the highest suicide rates. So mental health is really, really important topic in our profession that we have to talk about. And we have to really have a good support system. So I did step away from clinic life for a while, and that's how I found the education route. Ah. Um, You know, I I stepped back into, you know, I've gone back and forth with working in a practice over the years. I worked for the first 20 years of my profession in in the veterinary hospital, 12 just in the veterinary hospital, and then I started transitioning into education. And then when I now, even though I'm running this program, I try to step into the clinic as much as I can or get hands-on with those animals as much as I can at the school. Yeah. So, um, But you, it's really important to have a strong support system to, to stay positive in this profession because we can have bad days, but we have to know that our bad days, we're helping to support that patient and we're helping to support that family get through it. And I imagine one of the things that spending this many years in it, and maybe even this is the techniques or, or other uh, things that would be helpful or maybe even taught in the program that you guide, is how to not let those days and those, you know, especially those particularly sad days, get to you where you just say, well, of course it's sad and it's upsetting, but... I can't be thrown off target by this. I can't be wobbling and, and unsure of myself just because I'm, I saw that what this happened yesterday at the, at the office. So I guess you just probably have to come up with, like you say, maybe sort of coping mechanisms or other techniques that help you get through those, especially when you start to string a few of those together. I would think if you didn't have those things, at least a lot of us would be like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't know if I can carry on. Right. We do. We have those days for sure. And we really stress with the students as they're coming up through their program, um, different resources that they have for mental health, resources to make sure that they're supporting each other within the practices. Yeah. Um, and that they have downtime and that they have family time and they, have, they can step away from the profession at times if they need. Um, it's really important. But they have to always go back to the fact that they're doing the what they can to support those animals and those families of those animals. Right. Yeah, I guess that as long as that's kind of the prevailing thing that kind of guides you through the various ups and downs, you know, you're you're doing good work, you're helping the animals, you're helping the humans that, that go with those animals. Right. And if it's right. not a great day, tomorrow might be a much better day and still you're right. you're in the plus column. So, right. yeah. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Tricia Gorham, chair of the College of Veterinary Technology at St. Petersburg College. We're discussing a uh, a bit about her background, but also she's been a practicing veterinary technician since 1991, by the way. And the training provided to aspiring vet techs, what the job entails, and so on. If you'd like to ask Trisha a question or offer a comment about working as a vet tech or learning to become one or any other aspect of that, feel free to call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So let's talk. I mean, you've kind of alluded to these already a little bit. Let's talk about the ways someone can become a vet tech. I mean, is is it strictly these days by educational programs and training? In other words, like, can someone like you, you start off, you said when you were in high school working at a, at a vet's office, and I know a lot of people have done that, but can someone become a vet tech by dint of that experience, helping out X amount of years, let's say, in a vet's office, or does it still require a degree or some kind of official educational training to reach the vet tech level? So that's a really interesting question. So 
um, different states regulate veterinary technicians different ways. So the recommended path is through education. Mm -hmm. So across the country, there's 222 AVMA accredited programs. So the, uh, the Association of Veterinary Medical the American Veterinary Medical Association accredits veterinary technology programs so that they ensure that they're held to the highest standards and that students across the country and in Canada are getting the same educational process. So there's 222 of those programs. Mm -hmm. They're campus-based and distance-based. So students, there are 10 distance programs. So students can complete the program completely online if they have an affiliation with a veterinary hospital. And their programs are either two years or four years or a combination of both like ours. Our students can do a two-year program and then advance into our four-year bachelor's degree program. Or, so, sorry, I was just going to say, so let's say that they complete the two years. Do some students stop at that point and say, hey, I, I love the work. I want to get started. Sure, maybe I come back later and get two more years. Or how does that work with, it sounds like there's kind of a clear demarcation between the two year and the four year. Yeah, there in in our program, we have a really flexible program. So our students complete the two year AS degree program first. That mm -hmm. enables them to sit for the national exam. And the national exam is a high stakes national exam. It's very difficult. Um, It's peer reviewed. It's, it's got data based on it. So it's a very difficult exam that students take. Yeah. So that allows them to be credentialed. That's called the vet Tech National Exam, that allows them to be credentialed in any state across the country, including Florida. So that's the thing then, if someone says, hey, I'm a vet tech, that's the thing that says, well, okay, but did you take the exam? Are you a credentialed vet tech? And that's the question that pet owners need to be asking. Because yeah. in Florida, for example, there is no required credentialing process for veterinary technicians. So in Florida, currently, anyone can call themselves a vet tech and they do not have to have any kind of education backing that. So that's what Florida Vet Tech Association is working hard to change. We would like regulation in the state so that pet owners are protected and know that the people that are caring for those pets do have that minimum of a two-year education. Yeah. You have to remember that part of our scope of practice is they're, they're inducing anesthesia, they're monitoring anesthesia, they're performing dental procedures, um, they're doing the hands-on day-to-day nursing care for critical patients. So you want the person that's caring for your pet to have that background education. If they have a bachelor's degree, that's great as well because they're continuing their education and getting a more in-depth based knowledge. So is that, Tricia, <laughs> the question you just raised, which seems like a super important issue, but I'm trying to sort out, would that be something that would be more at the veterinary office or veterinary hospital level, like who they hire? And they, at that point, if they're hiring someone that is credentialed, then you know you've got the right vet tech. But is it really up to the human patient or client to establish whether that vet tech that comes in the exam room as part of getting their dog or cat seen. I mean, it just seems weird that that would be the responsibility of the human as opposed to the clinic or the hospital or the vet office that's hiring those people. Right. So it's kind of a tricky situation in the state of Florida. Now, across the country, there's only 11 states that do not require um, credentialing at a state level. So the Board of Veterinary Medicine in all but 11 states credential those veterinary technicians. So they're absolutely required to have a degree and they're required to have a passing score on that national exam. Yeah. Uh, six of those 11 states are in the process of having that done. So um, Florida is currently not one of them. Hmm. We are looking to pass that so that pet owners are protected. But what we hope is that veterinary hospitals are hiring 
credentialed veterinary technicians. So those, those people that have completed their two-year degree have passed that national exam so that they know they're getting high-quality employees. The pet owners know what they're getting as well. Um, they're not required to hire certified veterinary technicians, though. So as the pet owner, that's something on your first visit to the veterinarian or now that you, you're learning more about this, you yeah. can go to your veterinarian and say, hey, are you hiring certified veterinary technicians or who's caring for my pet? Yeah. Without a credentialed veterinary technician. So interesting because they mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, and I'm sure most other people with animals at home, love vet techs. See, and, and I just, I guess I, this, this is really good because, I mean, it just never occurred to me. I mean, these people are always super nice, obviously love animals. They're kind people. They're sharp, usually helpful. So it just would never occur to me to, to think, hey, but I wonder what kind of, if they're credentialed or I wonder what the level of education they have. They're a vet tech. They're called a vet tech. So again, that's one of the great things about having you on to talk about this today is you have to think about things differently, uh, especially when it sounds like Florida, once again, is maybe a little bit behind on setting a standard that's consistent. Right. And, you know, we like to equate it to the human perfection sometimes because it helps the public understand more of what our role is. Yeah. You equate really what a veterinary technician does combines all of the healthcare fields in human medicine into one person and then we're covering multiple species. So you take a human nurse, you take a dental hygienist, you take a physical therapist, you take a radiology technician, all of those jobs are incorporated into a veterinary technician. So think about you going to a dental hygienist or you going to a nurse. Do you expect that those people are educated? And the answer is yes, of course. Yeah. Um, so do you want to take your four-legged family member or two-legged family member or no legs? You know, we do snakes as well. Yeah. So do you want to take them to somebody who also hasn't passed a national exam and is not have a degree behind their name to have all of the background knowledge that they should have to monitor your animal's anesthesia when they're going in for a dental procedure. Yeah, it's such a good point because now maybe I'm just more dopey than most people, but as you draw those equivalents, I'm thinking if I went to a doctor's job, especially like it was a specialist or somebody I hadn't been to before and a nurse came in, it would never occur to me to think, I wonder if she's an RN or I wonder if she's an actual nurse with the proper credentials. I, I guess I would make that it's assumption. Yeah, right. and if I went to a dentist that I hadn't been to before, before and somebody was coming in to clean my teeth, I would assume they were a proper uh, credentialed dental hygienist. So it's right. just, yeah, so it's, it's odd to think of like asking those people. So, so far, it just feels unusual, but it, you're raising super important points about asking in the veterinary realm that maybe you should. Right. Um, and, and the public does assume that the, the technicians that are taking care of their animals are credentialed and are educated. And that's just not the case um, in Florida and some of those other states yeah. that are not requiring credentialing. That's, yeah. It's just so interesting because if I found out that they weren't, I'd be disappointed. But my beef, I think, other than maybe now that you've explained this, now, if I don't do my own due diligence, I guess I sort of get what I what I deserve. But otherwise, I would have said my beef would be with the veterinarian that owns that practice or that runs that practice or whatever, because shouldn't I be able to count on them hiring someone that does have the proper training and credential? Well, or supporting their staff that would like to go back to tech school. There are, te there are eight tech schools in the state of Florida. Yeah. So what we hope is that as we're moving along and the profession is growing is that the veterinarians that do have some really fabulous support staff that would like to get an education, that those clinical sites will support them to go back to school. Sankey College is the largest in the state, but there are several other colleges in the state as well. So 
Yeah. Um, there's definitely opportunity. There's 222 across the nation. So not just in Florida, but in other states, um, you know, access to education is affordable and it's accessible. So, yeah. So that's the thing. So really uh, in Florida and elsewhere, there's no real reason to have a vet tech that doesn't have at least the fundamental credential that you're talking about, just because there's so many opportunities to get that credential. Right. And especially uh, across the nation where maybe there's not uh, a campus-based program, because we ha- now have 10 distance programs, St. Pete College being the first distance program in the country, um, is if those people are working in a veterinary hospital, that's the ideal student for a distance-based program, because they have that clinical support. They have those veterinarians that are supporting them and other yeah. staff that support them to go back to school and get their degree. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the idea of becoming a vet tech or getting the training. So let's say a person like me, except, you know, much younger, loves animals, thinks I'd like to work with them. And so how would I get started at the College of Veterinary Technology? What would be my very first steps? So the first step is to apply to the college. Mm-hmm. So um, St. Pete College has 11 campuses, 11 centers, and um, you would take your general education courses first. So that's the basic AS level, you know, composition, a college level math, and natural science, um, those kind of general education courses. Okay. Once they're near completion of their general education courses, then they would apply to the program. Now, to apply to our program, we require that they have observed in a veterinary hospital for 40 hours. So we want our students to be fully aware of what they're getting themselves into, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, everyone wants to come and be a vet tech because they love animals, but it's so much more than that. Yeah. So we want them to have that experience of seeing what a veterinary technician does on a day-to-day basis so that they know what they're getting into before they enter the program. The vet tech programs are intensive programs. They're very similar to nursing programs. Yeah. But again, we're covering multiple species of, of animals. So they're learning, you know, dogs and cats is a primary learning that they do, but they have to do horses and cows and exotic and birds and then lab animals as well. So there's lots of different coursework that they have to do to complete their education. So I'm going to take a a call in one sec, but I'm just curious, what have you guys found that over the course of that required 40 hours, what percentage of people somewhere along the line after seeing what's involved over the course of those 40 hours say, hey, you know what, this isn't for me? think it's a small percentage. Yeah. Okay. I, I think they do understand more fully what their educational process is going to look like. I think they, I don't think the 40 hours waves them or doesn't dissuade very many. Yeah. It does give them more of a broader picture of what their educational process is going to look like. Right. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily even thinking the 40 hours itself would be discouraging, but just some of the things they saw over the course of those 40 hours, especially if, if they went in a little bit wide eyed about like what's involved and they're like, oh my right. God, this is way more serious and way more. Right. Uh, and we expect them to observe surgical procedures. You know, they may see a euthanasia while they're in their 40 hours. Yeah. So, you know, it just gives them a better understanding. For sure. But uh, it makes sense that would be a requirement. It seems like it's uh, crucial to have people be fully aware of what they're stepping into or what they're trying to step into. Let's take that caller. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Trisha Gorham. Hi, sorry, go ahead. We missed you at the beginning. Go ahead. Yeah, I look here. I got a turtle. I'm wondering if there's anybody there to tell me how you can tell how old they are. <laughs> you're getting into a realm of where I'm not super familiar. Um, but there's there are exotic, especially veterinarians, that would be able to help help age those turtles. Yeah, well, he's 100 pounds, about a foot and a half, two foot long, big. 
big old guy. Followed me around like a little puppy, but uh, I was just wondering, like, he seemed to be very wise, probably 190 or 100 years old, but I, I, can't, I don't know how to tell. That's why I called talking animals. All right, well, and just out of curiosity, are you concerned that there's something wrong with the turtle, and that's why you're trying to assess, like, what kind of age the turtle might be at? Well, you know, like people, I guess whenever they get over a certain age, they start slowing down, so it's hard to tell if he's lethargic. But he likes to warm up in the sunshine, follow me around. He loves lettuce, he loves grapes, he loves peaches, <laughs> he loves plums. You know, everything, bananas, you name it. Sounds like he's doing pretty well to me. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he's all right. I just wondered how old he is. I yeah. Well, how how long have you known him? Oh, I've had him for years. And years. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. So far, so good, I'd say. I just don't know that we're going to be in a position to answer you over the, the radio. Right, but Okay, uh, listen, I'm used to an uncertain world, so y'all take care. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Okay, so, Tricia, um, got one of our emailers. We've got another caller that I think we'll get to in a moment. But uh, one of our emailers says, does your guest find that more women apply to be vet techs? Also, yeah. this wait. There's one other question I can't quite. Okay. Also, are vet techs trained to spot a use? I, I think there must be a typo there, so not quite sure. But let's at least go to question number one. Uh, are, are there more women applying to be vet tech? There definitely are. Um, we are a female-dominated field. We do have a, a fair share. About 10% of our program is male. Hmm. So, um, and then if you if you think of the veterinary profession in general, vet school used to be predominantly males, and now if you look at the incoming class at say the University of Florida, that's 90% female as well. So yeah. it is a female-dominated profession, but we do have our fair share of men, and <laughs> we support them as best we can. Yeah. So. And have you seen over your 30-plus years in the field, have you seen one or both elements, both the veterinarian side and the vet tech side, a shift in the gender ratio? The, the vet tech side has always been pretty much female-dominated. The okay. veterinary side is definitely changing, for sure. Um, when I started in the profession, most of the veterinarians in this area were male, and now it's definitely switched completely to the other side, where it's, it's definitely female-dominated, as well as the vet schools, and that's across the nation. 